In the name of the Father, and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Just a quick reminder where we are. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15. If you guys remember, last time we said there were two teams. David the prophet had his followers who ran away to the wilderness, and they were by themselves. And then uh, his son, Absalom, a lot of people started following him, and now we are at a stage where there's a rebellion. And we saw last time that David was very concerned with one guy. His name is Ahithophel, because he was the smartest person alive at that time. And any advice he gave was such a good advice. It's for the benefit, obviously, of the person who, whom he asking. So we saw last time that God dispersed the counsel of Ahithophel. God intervened in a very unexpected way. He made the king listen to an advice from a person whom he knew is loyal to David, his father, more than him. And he listened to his advice more than he listened to the advice of Ahithuf. So if you guys last time you remember, David's still in his camp. Absalom is still in Jerusalem. Now what's happening is, we're going to start, if you guys remember a long time ago, before we ended the Bible study over the summer, we had... David the prophet, he set up a spy system. What's the spy system? He used to have the priests. With the, the priest would tell uh, the younger priest, and the younger priest would run and go tell him exactly what's happening in the, in the palace. So now we're going to start seeing the information about the, 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 plan, of, uh, the plan of Absalom is going to arrive to David the, prophet, uh, David the king, and then we'll go from there. So from verse 15. Then Hushaya, if you guys remember Hushaya, Hushaya is loyal to David, and David told him, go to the palace, and hopefully God will use you to disperse the council of Ahithophel, and that's what happened. And then, then Hushaya said to Zadok and Abithar the priest, this is a spy connection. Thus, and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus, and, and, and so I have advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. So they are using their spy connection. So now he's sending, he's sending information to David. It seems like Hushai is still worried that the king could change his mind. Because remember last time, what did Hushai tell him? Told him, look, you should spend time, have an inauguration party, have everybody comes, and then after this leave, as an army, as a humongous army running after David. That was his plan, okay? Uh, but here we see that the Hushaya said, you know what, let me just kind of send the message and let's take our precaution uh, in the next step. Just wanna tell you guys something in general. In our life, we do not deal with every situation and when, with every circumstances that come to us the same way. Some days, some days, we are in difficulties. And because of these difficulties, like David was, we are called to pray. And the Spirit is waiting to touch our hearts to pray. Pray for how long? As long as it takes. Some days, we are called for action. Like today, Hoshaya, he just saw that God used him to disperse the counsel of Ahithophel, but he's still 
taking actions. And sometimes action taking is an essential part of our personal development. Some action taking is an essential part of our personal development. Sometimes people want to deal with all situations the same way. And it does not work. That's why we constantly have to pray for wisdom, for God to guide us in every situation we're in. There are some days when I have to face a sin and the only solution is I'm going to have to flee from the sin. So in every situation I am in, I am constantly needing guidance from God. Unless I am silent when I shouldn't, or I speak when I shouldn't. Here Hushaya realized that there's an action has to be taken. And immediately he sent the spies to send information to David. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed in, uh, in Rogel for they dared not to see to be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them and they would go and tell the king. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahiroyim whom had a well in his court and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spared a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground on a grain on it and the things was, was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, they had gone over the water brook and when they had searched and could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. So this is a really beautiful story and I, I, this story has a lot of importance. I'll tell you why. So remember, how does the spy network wor works? There's the high priest, Abithar and Zadok. They are in Jerusalem. How do they send the information? They tell it to a female servant. The female servants will go to the city, outside the city. She will find these two young, young priests, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, and she will tell them, go tell David. Jonathan and Ahimaaz would not enter the city because if they enter and go out, enter and go out, it will be suspicious. Again, when we talk about Jerusalem, just a little bit, a city usually has, has few gates, and all these gates are they're, they're people who are working for the king standing at the gates. And a, a person that's known like a priest would be known why is he going in and he was coming out. There's news coming, even though they don't have internet, but there's a verbal communication going on. So what happened was, as, the, as this female servant came out to tell them about, about the, the news, a little boy saw them. So he went and told Absalom. Why is this significant? Two things keep them in mind. Number one, even though God is always in control, the devil is always fighting. And we see here that this lad is here to delay and to hinder the work of God. But that's extremely important. The second thing that's also very important is when God leads our life. This is actually something that's common, very common in our life. What God does is he makes you go through a situation where it's difficult. And then 
you get some glimpse of hope, and then the situation gets complicated, some more glimpse of hope, and then more complicated, some more glimpse of hope, and then more complicated, and you're like, why? And God says, because I want you to know at the end that I am the one who delivered you. I am the one who delivered you. I don't think we as human understand how much we rush to take the glory of God and how much we rush to steal what God has given us. And one time, there's a lady who came to me and her, her, her child was far away from God for a long time. And finally, her child came back. And she's like, you know, Abuna, why my child is back? I told her, why? She said, because of my prayers. I prayed for him day and night, and that's why he's back. And so even sometimes, we take credit in a very weird way. Your prayers was actually needed for your own salvation. And maybe your child was put in that situation so you can actually get closer to God and pray. But she took it as her own prayer is the one that made the difference, not the work of God. Now here also we see something beautiful. The two spies, obviously, they were, they were caught by, uh, by, by Absalom. So then a lady in, this, in the village hid them. And that's a very risky task. It shows you how much David the prophet was loved. For some people who are willing to risk their life for his sake. So she took the two priests and she hid him in a well in her house, a well in her house that had no, had no water. So the well on the floor, she just put some grains on it and just hid it. So when the Absalom servants came to look for it, they couldn't find it. Something so beautiful, every time you look in the scripture and you look at a well, what's usually happening at a well? Somebody is proposing to somebody. Jacob, Isaac, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he met the Samaritan woman, well are always involved in a proposal. And our Lord, I think today, he's still telling David that you are my bride. Even though David is broken because he sinned and he's, he's, he feels like he's suffering the consequences, but God keeps sending him glimpses. Yes, I'm not removing the consequences, but I am with you. I love you. And every day I love you more. Now the final thing here, when the soldiers of Absalom came and told the woman, have you seen the spies? She actually lied to them and showed them they were not here. If you guys remember last time I was telling you, when Hoshaya was in the king's presence, he was so wise, he spoke in a way that he does not lie, but he conveyed his message. Here, this woman, obviously she lied, maybe she was intimidated, she was nervous, but it's not, it's not the right way. And our Lord is able to achieve what's right through our ethical means. Obviously, God knows our imperfection and his perfect plan is perfect because it takes into account our imperfection. That's why it's perfect, because it counts for our own imperfection. Again, what she did here, 
was partially good because she wanted to cover for somebody and somebody who's good and he's a holy man, but the same thing she lied and she could have, she could have um, tried to avoid that. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well, the two spies, and went to the, and told King David and he said, and they said to David, arise and cross over the water quickly for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Not one of them was left, had not gone over the Jordan. Now the situation is getting a bit more complicated. Now he knows a war must happen. He knows the news is coming that Absalom decided to fight against him. So he has to go now cross over the Jordan, arrange his army, try to think about how he's going to fight this, 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 uh, this war. And this is, not, uh, this is not an easy situation as we're going to go through why is this a very complicated situation. Now, we're going to stand still here and we're going to go back visit Ahithophel for one minute and then come back to the war. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house in his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So what did Ahithophel do? Ahithophel, you feel like he's like a, a CIA agent. You know, he's such a like a, 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 a state man, a policeman. He came, you can think of it as a, as a police officer. He went back to his, his, his room, cleaned his room, organized his paper, put on his uniform, and then hung himself. He must die with honor kind of a thing. Okay? Now, what's, what's the issue with Ahitophel? There are two things. One, Ahitophel is very smart, and he knows the advice he gave against David, David is a treason, and when David comes back, he probably could put him to death. Or he could put him in prison. So maybe he did not want to be humiliated. Okay? That's one, one thing. Also, Ahithophel, he is a very prideful person. And he could not take the fact that his advice was not followed. You know, every person has a motivation. Absalom wants to be a king. David wants to follow God. Ahithophel gives the best advice. Does he have principles? He does not have principles. He just whoever pays me more. Whoever has power, I'll give them the best advice so they can always trust me and glorify me and give me glory. This is what happened with Ahithophel. Ahithophel, because of his pride, he did not put in front of him the mercies of God. He did not put in front of him he did not put in front of him that David could forgive him. Can you imagine Ahithophel lived all his life with David? He saw him. He saw him in most difficult times. He saw him when he prayed. He saw him when miracles happened. But still committed suicide. This is the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Both can give really good advice, but one has principles and one does not. Remember, Ahithophel's advice was to ruin the relationship between David and his son. 
So he ended up, he ended up dying. Ahithophel also most likely was not a person who used to ask for guidance. He was the top. He did not ask, he did not used to have anybody to guide him. So he went in and actually killed himself, which is, which is a very difficult situation. Actually, we had a, a psychiatrist who came and spoke to the youth like a few weeks ago. And while he was talking in, in the talk, he said he himself has a priest therapist that he actually talks to every once in a while. As he sees a lot of patients, he feels like he needs to get some guidance to talk to somebody. So even those who are expert in the field, they get guidance. The day that I feel I got it figured out, the day I am worried about you. And God said, pride happens before you, get, you are broken. In the scripture. So here is the end of Ahithophel, the one that we pray in the liturgians. We ask God to disperse the counsel of the enemies as he dispersed the counsel of Ahithophel. Then David went to Mahinayim and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. It's a huge people. And Absalom made Amaz captain of the army instead of Joab. And Amaz was the son of a man whose name was Jehithara, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zoraya, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Just quickly, why is the Bible giving us all these details? It's telling us two things. Number one is that he's trying to emphasize that the head of the two armies are actually related. So you're not fighting an enemy, you're actually fighting your cousins, your uncles, your family. Okay? So that's actually a very different type of war. It's not an easy war. Also, that he's talking about they are encamped in Gilead, and you guys remember Gilead is an area where the people of this area, they love David. So Absalom, as a new king, you don't see him making any wise decision at all, and we see how foolish a lot of his decisions are, and it reflects a lot of our life. The most difficult war you have is not external, it's internal. And this is a type of war that David and Absalom are having. So then what happened when David is in an area where everybody loves him? Now it happened when David had come to Mahinaim that uh, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, and Meachiah, the son of Amiel, from Ledabra, and uh, Bazilia, the Gelites, from Roglim, brought beds and, and, and basins, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Can you imagine what God is doing with David? David is in the wilderness. He's older. He has been a king for quite a few years. He got used to being treated as a king. Now he's running away. He's running away because of his sin. God is telling him, I am with you. And every day, God provides for him. Every day, God provides for him. I tell you, some of the most beautiful meals you have are the meals you have when you feel God provided them for you. 
best night of sleeps you have when you feel that God is hugging you. Best day you have when you are in love with God all day. God is providing. When David ran to the wilderness, he did not have a plan who's going to provide supply for himself. Yes, he had a plan for the spies. He had a plan to the spies to disperse the counsel of Ahithophel. But he did not have a plan for food. And he has thousands of people. This is not like, you know, a small tray going out. These are thousands of people that the small village around them said, we have to help them. God is taking care of his needs without him even asking. And I want to tell you guys something very important. In our life, especially in the West, it's very rare when we see how God is taking care of our needs. Because we become so self-reliant all the time. And it's not easy to see how God takes care of our needs. But I think hopefully this week we can pray and tell God, God, open my eyes that I could see how you're taking care of me every moment. Every moment. i tell you guys something, a small, uh, yani, Today, actually, I, I met my father of confession. So I talked to him about certain things, and he started giving me advice. And then one of the strangest things, there's one thing I forgot to tell him, and I found him giving me advice about the one thing that I forgot to tell him because I needed to hear it. Shuf, the smallest things, you don't even plan for it. Even what you forget, God does not forget. But this is what God is doing with David. Now we're going to start. Absalom is crossing with his all with the, all of the people of Israel. It's a humongous army, and David is going to fight. So let's see what happens. And David numbered the people who were with him, and he set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one third of the people under the hand of Joab, and one third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother. And one third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now, let's talk about this, because this is such a beautiful scene. What's happening here? David said he's going to divide his army into three different groups. And there's a reason for this, and we're going to see it later. The Bible says that David divided them into thousands and hundreds. So in the old days, there are certain units, tens, hundreds thousands and there's another unit called ten thousands since the scripture did not mention ten thousands it means that the full army of david was most likely less than ten thousand let's say probably nine thousand just to be generous okay so he had about nine thousand people with him now joab joab was one of them joab this is the head of the army now the second one is uh uh, Itai, uh, uh Itai, the Gittites. And he was loyal to David. You can see his story in, in, in 2 Samuel 15. And also Joab brothers Abishai. He's the one that David took with him into the camp. So all those people are people who are loyal to him. 
he is picking up the most amount, the most people whom he trusts to go with him. Now, when people came to talk to David, David wanted to go to the war. But people told him, look, the whole purpose of this war is to kill you. They're using Ahithophel advice. They want to kill you. So you are more important than 10,000 of us. See the humility. By the way, I want you to know that these are not, at this point, we don't consider them subordinate to David. They are his loyal friends. They ran away with him, and they said, we're willing to suffer with you no matter what it takes. And when David was going to war, they're telling him, no, 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 you should not go to war. We're willing to die for you. You are more important than ten thousands of us. See the love between them and when they have a good leader whom they love. And this is where love truly is manifested and good leadership is manifested. When a situation like this happens. Now, when the people told him, don't go, what did David do? David said, whatever you see fit. Whatever you see what fit. I want to tell you guys something small about this. Sometimes you might have a vision. And you go to apply this vision. And then the people that you, you want to apply this vision on, they're all resisting. So usually there are two different attitudes. One attitude is like, Nope, we're going to enforce it. You like it, you don't, we're going to enforce it. And one other idea is to take a step back and try to see how you can reach a point where you tell people, okay, if you don't want the vision I'm showing you, what's your vision? For example, let's try it for a little bit of time and see if it works. Why? Because then... You don't have people who are rebelling, rebellious against you. You have people who've tried, and now at least most of them become convinced that what you're asking for makes sense. David understands that the people with him are loyal to him because they love him. And he said, you know what? Whatever you want, I will do. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ says, people in the world, when they rule over people, they want to control them. But for us as Christian, if you want to rule, you be the servants of all. You be the least of all. That's what David is doing here. He's putting himself, his own desires, under what the people want. Okay? Now, also one of the most... I want you guys to imagine this scene with me. These are the people that love David so much. So, so much. So what is, what is David at? David is at the gate of the city. Imagine with me, David, the king, standing in the gate of the city, and all the soldiers are passing by him. And they're all like crying, and he's crying. I can imagine that he might not see them. They're going to a war where they are outnumbered. His own loyal people are going to die for him, to protect his life. And he's standing at the gate. And he's greeting each person as they walk out. This is probably one of the most beautiful love scenes you've seen in the scripture. It's almost, you can think of it as a metaphor of our Lord Jesus Christ dying for us and the saints 
and the martyrs are dying for our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. So it's a very difficult situation. Now, what makes it even more beautiful, when the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Itai, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. You can think of it as, as the soldiers are leaving and the, the head of the commandments, David screaming, take care of my boy, do not kill Absalom, do not kill Absalom. And they're moving and they're, they're moving forward and he screams, do not kill Absalom. That's exactly what's happening. Why is this important? David, actually, the word David means the beloved. David represents our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though at the time of the Old Testament, the commandment of loving your enemies were not given, David standing, screaming for his enemy's life. Who is his enemy's life? The one who wants to kill him. When? Now. Today. He's not even a repentant enemy. He's somebody who wants to kill him today. That's why David the prophet in Psalm 103.13, he says what? He says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. See, David feels exactly what that means. I'm a father, and Absalom is my son, and I pity him. I feel bad for him. I want him to live. I want to reconcile. He says, those who fear God, fear God, God has pity on them just like a father has pity on his children. Absalom broke all the commandments that deserves death when he treated his father. But his father is still screaming for his life. So it's a very emotional scene. David sees his soldiers, his army leaving, and he's greeting them one by one. So the people went out into the field of a battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods. Be careful, the battle was where? In the woods. It's not in the wilderness, in the woods. It's like trees and forest and jungle of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So what's happening? Remember I told you David divided him into three groups? They're fighting in the woods. And David is a man of war. He knows exactly the whole thing. He brought them to his area. Mr. Absalom coming in with a huge army, but they don't know how to fight in the woods, in the trees. So now you have people who are almost like kind of doing small missions, killing people, hurting people. But the Bible says more people died from that we're going to see another example from just simply the environment. They were running with his horse and then his head gets stuck in a tree. Or somebody, for example, without, without paying attention, people push each other and then they, 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 they hit a, a tree or a forest and then they die. So this is exactly what happened. How many died? 20,000. Remember I was telling you, David's army was most likely less than 10,000. So now David is killing this horse. And it looks like David was confident that he's going to win because he was telling them, deal gently with Absalom. So almost he knows that most likely his men know exactly what to do in this area. 
he's, remember he used to run away from Saul, he lived in the wilderness, he lived in the woods. This man knows how to deal with this situation. He has the experience. Look what happened to Absalom. And Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule, and the mule went under thick uh, bar of great thirbine tree, and this head and his head caught in the thirbine, so he, he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. So he was riding on a little horse or a little donkey, and as he was driving, the riding, what happened? He got stuck. You guys know how he got stuck? What's the most likely explanation? If you guys remember a while ago when we described, the Bible described Absalom, one of the most things that he took pride in was his hair. They said his hair was so long and he used to weigh that much. So most likely that long hair that he was, he was bragging about is what got him stuck in the tree and the donkey went from under him and he's hanging like this. Just an easy target for the enemy. One of the fathers said, the manner of Absalom's death suspended in the air at his, as his neck was entangled in the branches prefigures the death of Judas, the Lord's betrayer. Exactly the same scene. A child who betrayed his father. Judas is another child who betrayed his own father. Exactly what's happening. So, Absalom is not officially dead yet. He just hung on the tree. So what happened? Now a certain man saw it and told Joab. Joab is the head of the army of David. And said, I just saw Absalom hanging on a third pine tree. So Joab said to the man who, who, told, uh, who told him, you just saw him and why didn't you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. So Absalom told him, you saw him. He's hung on the tree. Why didn't you kill the guy? I would have given you silver and a belt. A belt actually is a promotion in the army, kind of, just to give you like another rank. Look what this man said to him. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekel of silvers in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king's commanded you and Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Be aware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. So what did this man told him? Told him, if you would have given me a lot more money than this, I would have never broken the commandments that King David have given us. You heard it. We all heard it. He's talking to the, high, the big commander in the army, the, top, the highest guy. Tell him, you heard it, I heard it, and you know very well, if I would have broken it, you would not take it easy on me. He's telling him, I don't want to betray my king. You know, in some situations in our life, we must stand like this man. We must be courageous to stand on what is true. Many situation, I don't know how God takes it, but people who are raised in the church, nourished by the church, when they are in the world, they deny their church. Why are you fasting? Why are you eating vegan? Oh, just I'm doing it for health reasons. What are you doing this weekend? I don't know, even though you know you're going to church. Why don't you curse? 
I'm scared to sell them. I was taught not to curse. We're scared. And this is what we see. A man says, no, I will not cheat. People in school, they sh cheat like crazy. People even cheat the government. Lies all the time, as if it's the norm. And here, this man says, no, if it costs me my life, I'm not going to betray the commandments I received. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. You know, the, somebody gives you attitude, who do you think you are? I'm, I'm the army. I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart. While he was still alive, Absalom was not dead, in the midst of the thirbine tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Why is this story important? Absalom, uh, Joab, because he was so close to David, he started taking the commandments of David lightly. He started to take the commandments of David lightly. It's almost like, for example, we'll talk about clergy, we'll talk about deacons who come to church a lot. They might take the reverence of the church lightly because they're in the church all the time. I remember when the church was closed in COVID, people would say, I want to just if the church opens. Wow, I'm going to go to the church and just pray and pray and pray. One child was telling me, I will do prostrations from my car until the altar, just to go see the church. And what happened when the church opened? Phones are in the church, texting in the church, talking in the church. In ways that people exactly doing what Joab is doing. Because Joab made so many mistakes before, and he disobeyed David before multiple times, and there was no consequence for him. So he got used to disobey his king. He got used to disobey what? His king. And this is one of the most dangerous things. There's one thing I want to tell you here. I'll just stop here. It is nearly impossible for us to be moved with the Holy Spirit without the fear and the reverence of God. It is nearly impossible to be moved by the Holy Spirit without the reverence and the fear of God. That's why some people say, I listen to sermons all day long. But if you're not focused, alert, and fearful as you hear them, and willing to receive, you get nothing. This is the problem with Joab. He got so used to it that it became easy. That's a big problem. Even though, by the way, God already is working. Like Absalom, he's already captured. He's probably injured. God could have taken care of him a long time ago. And if you guys remember, when Absalom was in exile, Joab is the one who actually brought him because Joab is his uncle. Joab is the uncle of Absalom. And Joab actually brought him to David and tried to reconcile with him. But now Joab feels like this kid, the difference between David and Joab, he feels this kid is too much trouble. I've got to get rid of him. 
doesn't care. He's my nephew. I don't care. So Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in, in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. So obviously, Joab told everybody, look, we're done. The war is over. Absalom is dead. And Absalom, who was a very prideful person, as a king's son, he's buried in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. People speak about David, they speak about Solomon, they speak about great kings in the nation of Israel. We don't ever barely talk about Absalom. Why? Because this is what he did. Absalom, his father is old. David at this stage is old, he's not young. He could have waited to reconcile with his father, eventually he'll be a king. It's his turn. But he had no patience. He had no patience. There's one thing we want to keep in our mind. Patience is our greatest teacher. Patience is our greatest teacher. Because what patience does in our life, what patience does in our life, it makes me reflect so much on why I'm doing it, for what reason, and who's helping me through it. Patience purifies us. If everything we want, we want will get right away, we will be extremely shallow. That's why David, he became a wonderful king. God told him you're going to be a king long, long time ago. And he lived in the desert, and he lived in a cave, and he was outcasted, and he was here, and he was there. And even when he became a king, he became a king over first the tribe of Judah, and then it took him a few years until he became the king of over Israel. But it was all done the right way. That's why he is the greatest king of Israel. Patience. People who rush to get even what seems what God is calling for them, they lose the development that God has for them. We'll take that verse 18 and then we'll continue next time. And Absalom in his lifetime, imagine Absalom has, was a king for how, how long? A week? Two weeks? I don't know. Very short time. And Absalom in his lifetime, when he became a king, had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it's called Absalom's monument. So Absalom, when he was in power, he's about to go to war. The only thing he's thinking about, what people will remember when I die. You guys know, like, there are some people who are obsessed with what people would say about them in their funeral. Or what would be their legacy. There's actually a story, a true story, in Egypt where one guy who actually wrote, before all the internet and all the stuff, who wrote exactly uh, his condolences statement uh, to be printed in the, in, the, in the Ahram newspaper in Egypt after his death. He wrote it for himself. People so obsessed with the legacy, what people will say about me when I'm gonna die. This guy stayed two weeks, he didn't do anything. 
useless, nothing. Yeah, he wants to be remembered. Remember for what? People are obsessed. What people are going to say? People have no time to think about anybody. What matters is what God wants. What matters is what God wants. Does not matter what we, who is remembered on earth. What matters is what the heaven remembers, because that's an everlasting, eternal. One just small technical thing I want to tell you. He said, uh, Absalom said, because I have no sons. If you actually go to Second Samuel fourteen twenty-seven, he did have three children. But most likely, they might have died by then. So, most likely at this point, there's no, the, the scripture doesn't say about it. Maybe he said this uh, as, a, as feeling he has no loyal sons to him, or he has no son old enough to take it, or maybe his three children die. So, even in his statement, and depending on how, what way to take it, if his children are alive or not, it's a very shallow statement. And very hopeless statement. Maybe you can have more children. Why are you rushed? Maybe, you know, you're still young. You could have more children. But he just was so quick. Because I want people to remember me when I die. And now that monument he has for himself becomes a joke. People will pass by it and laugh at this guy who was a king for two weeks. And then what happened after? He just wanted people to remember him. May God give us as we seek in the life of David the prophet, to see how God works in our life every day, every moment. We are his children, and every moment is in his hands.